0: For today's session, I have with me Adam J. Bock, which is the, is an academic entrepreneur, financier, tech venturing expert, and author of a must read book, which is called The Business Model Book. Thank you for being uh, with me today, Adam.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to participate.
0: Yeah, as I was telling you uh, just uh, before uh, we were starting uh, the recording, I loved uh, your book because uh, it uh, cut through the noise of understanding business models. And I think, uh, you know, it's one of the best books that I've read on the topic. And so I'm glad that uh, you're here today. Let's uh, start from you, actually. How did you get uh, into the study of uh, business models?
1: So I, uh, I got into the study of business models formally when I started my PhD, In just around 2007, but I I need to emphasize that that came through uh, Professor Jerry George, who um, at the time was at Imperial College London. is now He is now the dean at Singapore Management University, and Jerry is one of the top strategy and entrepreneurship academics uh, and experts in the world. And uh, I I had a a lot of practical experience with startup companies and venture capital. And so business models and the thinking about business models was something that I was spending a lot of time on. But Jerry is the one who linked all of that to our research, recognized that developing business model frameworks and understanding business models was really going to be important. And so he guided me in my PhD to bring that practical experience and knowledge into a formal research research process and so we conducted research during my uh phd and uh and and published papers and books on it and uh, ultimately that led to then the the business model book a couple of years after that
0: yeah, interesting and uh what i like also is that uh, you approach the topic in a very practical way because of course you're also you're also an entrepreneur um, and um what let's define first let, let's start from uh, the negative uh what's not a business model i mean what, are, what because there are many um you know myths and uh, uh misconceptions about business models so let's start from uh, defining uh what
1: the business models are not Sure. So in the book, we provided a much more extensive list of all the things that we, <laughs> we felt it was important to distinguish from business models, but I'll emphasize three of them. Um, strategy, marketing plan, and revenue model. A, a business model is not a, a business strategy. It's not a corporate strategy. Strategy is about relative performance against competition. That's really what strategy is. Can you outperform your competitors? Um, And that's not what a business model is. A marketing plan, there are an awful lot of people who sort of see a business model and imagine that what it's about is how you present information to your customers, how you interact with your customers. Clearly, that's very important. But a marketing plan is also not what a business model fundamentally is. And then finally, one of the most common misconceptions is that a business model is a revenue model. And this, I think, is one of the more pervasive misunderstandings, simply because we have terminology that we use to talk about business models the classic ones being you know a razor and razor blade model the Id- or a freemium business model like these ideas that you in the razor razor blade model that you sell the razor cheap because you'll then be selling supplies the razor blades for many years but that's that's fundamentally a revenue model it's how you generate revenue and the same thing with a freemium app model where you give it away for free and then there are uh, upgrades or in-app purchases uh, that people can buy, Th- those are fundamentally m- revenue models associated with how you generate sales, pricing systems, and so on. And while those are useful to keep in mind, none of those things are really you know, what encompasses an actual business model. So I think those are sort of the key ones we want to try to make sure we distinguish.
0: Yeah, great point. And uh, I think uh, there is a lot of mis- misconception on the revenue model side where you see that when people are looking for business models, the first thing that they're thinking of is actually how they make money. And this is the same also for startups in many startup speeches. When we look at the slide related to business models, as many say, uh, usually it's actually how we're going to make money. But revenue model, business model, are two separate aspects I just wanted to emphasize that. There is also another misconception about the origin of the business models because uh, many believe that business models it's something that is tied to the internet but actually you explain uh, that is uh, the story of uh, the history of business models goes behind that.
1: Yeah, the story of business models goes obviously further back than than that a good 10, 20 years if you look in in the, the literature and the research. Um, it clearly, uh, there were various times when, uh, researchers were talking about models of business. There were actually economic researchers talking about models of business where they were actually trying to create a process model for how organizations function. Um, and then the phrase business model really, uh, was generated in the late 1980s, early 1990s, as, and it, it really almost just emerged randomly. I, I'm, I'm, we're not even sure. We can find examples of it in the literature in which people are beginning to talk about this shorthand for value creation, something about the way that the organization works. And you're exactly right. It picked up steam during the dot-com boom, um, but it was used in a very specific way. Uh, in fact, it was often used to explain why dot-com companies, these companies that now we know were just disasters, why they didn't have to generate value. They could operate, people were arguing that they could operate at a loss indefinitely, that they, they had a different business model than anything that we were familiar with in terms of Pricing stock or understanding how much a company was worth and of course the major, you know The key thing about business models out of the dot-com boom was the fact that that was fundamentally wrong, right? <laughs> so, um, they're just this isn't right that that isn't the way the world works. There are no exceptions for business models every organization whether it's for-profit or non-profit, whether it's an internet company or a biotechnology company, whether it's going to sell products or whether it's going to raise money from private investors and be sold through an acquisition before it ever brings a product to market. Every organization has to create demonstrable and ultimately monetizable value. And that's the core business model concept that Every organization has to have a viable business model in order for it to survive. Yeah, this is a a very
0: important uh, point to actually emphasize. And uh, I guess the first lesson that we had on this was during the uh, dot-com bubble. And now we are seeing again today also a set of uh, tech companies which are also uh, going to IPO. And where we see those business models, which while they generate a lot of revenue revenues, they are not yet uh, profitable. So uh, what are some other uh, common myths that surround like business models in general?
1: Well, I, I think that um, th- 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 there are myths around uh, issues of how you create new business models, um, what makes a business model innovative, Uh, I think that there's the the classic one you just mentioned, that there's a myth that you can have a business model in which you don't have to generate profits eventually. And you're exactly right. We're seeing right now, in particular, Uber and Lyft being perhaps our best current examples of companies with tremendous revenues, but uh, generating huge losses in the short term. Uh, People obviously banking on the long term value that those companies presumably could generate. I, but I, I think that um, the, the fundamental myth about about business models, which we probably would want to talk about in a little more detail, is this idea that you can craft a business model on paper and then evaluate it and know whether a company is going to succeed or not. And that's something we should probably, you know, talk about in a little more depth, um, especially given the way that both academics and practitioners are now using business models, you know, specifically with can with the business model canvas and the lean canvas. Uh, and that's my, you know, when I mentor entrepreneurs or when I'm teaching in my classes, that's you know, commonly my, my biggest concern about business models is that um, because it is a shorthand for value creation and how the organization actually functions, uh, it it's easy sometimes to simply imagine that we can write it all down on a napkin or on a piece of paper or on one of these canvases and then just looking at that we can somehow predict whether that's a viable long-term business or not and I, that's the most concerning myth from my perspective
0: so it's uh, the main myth i guess it's really that you know business model does not guarantee like business model design of course is not a guarantee of uh, success and i think it's a uh, you point out actually in the book that probably uh, one of the, the main um, advantages of using a business model analysis is actually the fact that you can uh, uh, create a business experiments. I mean, is that something that, um, did I get it right? I mean, or uh, I got it wrong from uh, I was describing in the book.
1: I think you're, that's exactly the idea that we tried to get across in the book. I'm glad to hear that <laughs> that was your conclusion, because that's, I think, one of the most critical uses of these canvases, these tools that, you know, you're trying to make sure, obviously you want to make sure you haven't missed something obvious, right? So you put all of this information down in into a canvas or whatever diagram or document, um, and hopefully that helps you, you know, look sort of at a surface level of, have we missed something obvious? But the second thing is you want to use that to identify underlying assumptions that you, are, you have about the about the opportunity or about the, the business or the organization. Um, making those assumptions explicit. We think customers will pay this. We think this is the channel that we'll use. We think that this is the type of resource that's going to be required to make this business model work. Once you recognize what those assumptions are, you've set the stage for creating the experiments that will actually tell you whether or not the business model is viable. And then this gets into, you know, classic lean startup sorts of methodologies, trying to find your minimum viable product and so on. But from my perspective, it comes back to putting those assum- making those assumptions explicit and then using those assumptions to run fast and inexpensive experiments to confirm how that business model will actually work. And that's going to be your best indicator Uh, of whether or not you have a viable business model. Yep, and um, now that we define
0: from all the uh, myths and negative aspects or actually how not to think about business models, what's a powerful uh, definition uh, or
1: effective definition of business models? So that is a great question. It is the question that has been plaguing academic research for about 25 years now <laughs> and there still is in in from the academics perspective there's still no agreement on a, on a precise definition for a business model. And this was in fact the core of my PhD research and the first major paper that I published was this concern that the way that academic researchers were thinking about business models was not in fact the way that managers and entrepreneurs think about business models. And so we, we also tried to tackle this problem and that was, that, that was eight years ago, almost nine years ago and we still haven't come to a, a you know the, from an academic perspective, we haven't come to a single definition. But I wanna give you a couple of examples that I think are really helpful. Um, so the, the first example I want to give you is, our, is, as an academic, to be completely honest, the most powerful definition that we have was actually one of the very first ones that was developed by Zot and Amit, two very uh, top-notch researchers who really published the first major study on business models back in 2001. Um, and they defined a business model as the uh, content, structure, and governance of transactions to create value in the organization. And the problem is, is that that's a non-obvious definition. It's a very academic definition. But it, it's it, for people who have time or MBA students who are really interested in this. It's it, it's almost worth reading the paper and kind of thinking about it, because you realize by defining it so carefully as limited to the way that the organization manages its transactions internally and externally. It becomes, very, uh, it becomes much simpler and clearer to actually assess what a business model is or is not. Now, the sad part of this is that that definition did not survive, and in fact, 10 years later, Zot and Amit have written multiple new articles in which they've gone to other definitions, and I'll get to that in just a second. Um, but if you wanted an academic definition, that's personally my, my favorite. You might find that funny because the second definition I'm going to give you is the one that Jerry and I came up with, <laughs> which I think is a good one, but it comes at this from a completely different perspective. When we did our research, we tried to recognize that there was something more holistic. There was something more interpretive about business models that was really important to managers and entrepreneurs. And so we defined a business model as the design of the organization to exploit an opportunity. And we were really trying to get at this sense that this was about the configuration of the business, how you actually tie things together And it all has to be focused towards something entrepreneurial, something to generate value where there wasn't value previously. Um, And some aspects of that definition are still sort of um, partly in use. That sort of higher level framework is very much uh, in alignment with sort of the business model canvas. But the definition that really has emerged in these last five to six years based in part on the success of the business model canvas, is more vaguely a set of activities and resources and processes that create value. Um, And it's helpful to have that definition um, because it's more all-encompassing and it does align very nicely with the business model canvas. And it is, in fact, what Zot and Amit came to sort of this activity-based approach to a business model. Um, and because it's aligned with the canvas, it's kind of a good, uh, it's, it's a good working perspective. the The trouble with it is that it, uh, it, it's vague enough, and it also it, it's a little more vague than we might like, and it sometimes gets expanded even further to include things like business strategy, which is exactly where, as a, as a researcher, I would prefer not to see business models go. So I think for MBAs uh, and for managers, it, it is probably the most, it's probably useful to kind of recognize two, two or three things here. One, that we really are talking about a, a set of elements. We're talking about a set of different aspects of the organization, activities, resources, processes, Number two, that we really need to have all of this linked to value creation. That's kind of really where all of this comes back to. And then I would say number three, it's useful to remember the design piece of this, right? This is about designing how organizations function. And I think if, if MBAs and managers and entrepreneurs keep those things in mind, I think that even if we don't have a single perfect definition for a business model. I think that they'll be able to work with what's available to use the canvases and so on.
0: Yep, great point. And I think it's very important that um, we think of business models as uh, tools that need to help entrepreneurs to actually building uh, better companies in in the real world. And um, in the book, actually, you specify, because for instance, for many, uh, the business model canvas is a I's a one size a all soul uh, tool that you can use, but actually you actually specify that there are several business tools that you can use at several stages of a, of a company or actually even before you, you launched
1: a company's a company uh, w- What are some of those uh, those uh, business models tools sure I, I think that was one of the things we were trying to get across in the book as as maybe a, an important extension of how people think about business models. I, I, I'm, I love the business model canvas and Alexander Osterwalder did a, a, just a phenomenal job in researching and developing and, and building that. Um, But it does have limitations if you are an early stage venture or you're not even you don't even have a company yet you're just trying to think about an opportunity there's a lot of information that would need to go into the into osterwalder's business model canvas that you simply might not have Um, and so uh the two additional tools that i think are helpful one is the lean canvas which was developed by ash moria and I I love the Lean Canvas, I use it very consistently in my classes and students like it. It's very focused on the customer problem and the solution to that problem and so it's very intuitive for students. So I, uh, in the book and in practice, I recommend that the Lean Canvas is really useful for very early stage companies. Um, Teams and, and organizations that are at that very initial stage of getting launched. Uh, will find the lean canvas to be a very helpful, straightforward tool uh, for putting together uh, the, the elements of their business model. But if you're even earlier than that, I mean, you're just you've come upon this idea that you think might, you know, be innovative or it might have a market opportunity. Even the lean canvas might be a little more than you're prepared to Uh, to develop, uh, because it does require you to think uh, in at least a little bit of depth about channels and customer relationships and cost structures, and you just just might not be there yet. And so for that, we recommended this RTVN model, which just stands for resources, transactions, value, and then narrative. And it's really meant to be an extremely simplistic way to get started with a business model. Think about the key resources that you'll need. Uh, What is it that Creates value? What are the transactions that take place? Who do you interact with, whether it's suppliers, customers, partners? Uh, How is value created and then captured? And that those are not necessarily the same thing. Uh, How you create value and then how you monetize that and capture it may be slightly different. And then surrounding that, we encourage early entrepreneurs to make sure they do think about the narrative. What's the story that ties all of this together? Because maybe the single most important thing about business models, uh, if, if we could jump ahead 50 years and think about how business models changed management, it might be that the ability to use a business model to tell a very simple and clear story, about why an organization is going to be successful is really what makes it work. And so you making sure that as you think about these elements, the resources, transactions, values, or if you use the lean canvas, or if you use Osterwalder's business model canvas, um, that you always kind of have in the back of your mind, what's the underlying story here? What's the compelling way to explain whether to employees or to partners or to investors or to customers or to suppliers what is that story that shows why that why this business actually works
0: yep and in the, in your framework which i think it's uh, incredible uh, incredibly practical and simple to start with especially if you're launching, uh, as you said, a company, and there will be for, for a short, uh, at least for a short, even medium period of time, some of the building blocks of the, the business model canvas will be missing. Um, there is also another part where you see uh, to focus on actually the resources, which you call uh, sharp uh, resources. And why is that important? Why is it so important for uh, companies to focus on that side?
1: Sure. So, the the sharp resources perspective is is in re- realistically is a variation of a more long standing approach to resources in strategic management and corporate strategy. There's a framework called the V R I N or the V-R-I-N, uh framework, based off of the resource based view of the firm, which is this long running strategic uh, framework in the academic literature. Um, when we were thinking about that, we we did want to make sure that we distinguished this a little bit from a business model perspective. Simply, again, to kind of make sure that we didn't get too in, caught up in links with strategy. The the sharp resources framework is tr- helps to emphasize that organizations gain advantages and are successful. Because of the various resources within the organization and resource is a very generic term it can refer to human capital it can refer to financial capital physical assets capabilities skills uh, knowledge um, uh, and so uh, we we wanted to make sure that people simply had a, um, a relatively straightforward way. Um, uh, to think about those and to um, uh, to assess them um, uh, in a relatively in a relative in a framework that would at least be you know they they would they would be somewhat recognizable and so sharp simply stands for specific hard to copy rare. And precious. And so the idea is that they, the resources that are going to help a business model run are specific, right? They're going to be the, um, the people or the uh, assets or the way money is used that are specific to that particular opportunity in that industry. Uh, They need to be hard to copy, right? Because if anybody can get access to them, then your advantage is is going to be limited either in time uh, or in geographic scope. They need to be rare. Uh, They need to be something that um, once you access, uh, uh, they become something that other organizations can't as easily also generate. And then they just need to be precious. They have to be valuable in some specific way. the more of those characteristics that a resource has, the more it contributes to the success of a business model. So having a resource, uh, an individual, for example, who's very specific and provide a lot of value to your, uh, to your opportunity, that's very good. But if they have unique experience, they have a unique uh, uh, capabilities, um, no one else has been working on the same kinds of topics that sa- that person has been working on. Um, the more of those characteristics, hard to copy, rare, and precious, the more likely that that uh, person is going to be, a, that person, that asset, uh, that capability, that skill uh, will actually ensure that your business model is viable in the long term. Yep, and
0: you also have another resource, which I think is very important, which is the customer uh, journey map. How does they work? Why is it so important also?
1: Yeah, the, so the customer journey map is one of those tools that I've, I'm constantly surprised to, to not see more often. The customer journey map is actually a very simple thing. It's, and it, this is not something we invented by any stretch of the imagination. It's literally a map or a diagram or even a narrative that explains Every step that that your customer takes from when they first become aware of your innovation product company all the way through the educational process, the purchasing process, customer support after purchase, and ultimately to a point where they're either becoming a long-term customer or, in addition, they're also helping refer other customers to you. And this customer journey map is incredibly powerful for thinking about from a business model perspective because it shows you every interaction that you have with the customer. And it gives you a a fairly clear and testable process for thinking about all the things that your business model has to do in order to be successful. Um, and there's many versions of the customer journey map and there's a, you know, there's a, at least a dozen different templates online that you can access. Um, but I am constantly surprised that I don't see more entrepreneurs generating a customer journey map in conjunction with their business model, because I think they go hand in hand. If you know what your customer journey really looks like, putting together the business model and recognizing the key places in the business model where you're going to create and capture value because just becomes dramatically easier.
0: Yep, and um, there is also another element uh, which you argue is very, very important in building up the business model, which uh, is a sort of probably uh, a glue, which is the, the, the business model
1: uh, narrative. Um, how does that work? So um, the, the, the business model narrative is really, you know, it's, it's a couple of things. It's, it could be a little bit of your organizational story. Um, it, could be sort of a simple description of how you create value. It could be in part what really makes your organization uh, unique from any other. The way that we have tried to encourage people to think about the narrative is to tie it explicitly back to the RTV framework, right? So the narrative should encompass in some simple way the key resources, the key transactions, and how value is created and captured. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not the case that the narrative has to be perfection. It doesn't have to be somehow 25 words that's enlightening. Um, but it is something that you can constantly return to, to say, you know, is this actually what the business does? And do all of the elements of the business model in this canvas or in this broader, you know, analytical framework that we've created do they all ultimately tie back to that. And this is so important because as people, as humans, (laughs) we think in narratives, right? We automatically create stories about everything, about ourselves, about the organizations we work for. um, And that is a compelling way to communicate information extremely quickly. So we feel like it's a bit of a missing piece that a lot of entrepreneurs, they know about it and they, you know, they're thinking about it as they build their pitches. Um, And so from our perspective, why not make that explicit and make sure that it matches exactly what it is that your underlying business model is doing?
0: Yep. Uh, Thanks a lot, Adam. Let's finish this up with the last question. what are some of the key obstacles and actually how to overcome them to designing a great business model?
1: So I I think there are three. The first one is unstated assumptions, right? So coming back to what we were talking about before about putting, getting those assumptions and hypotheses down in the business model. I think that the, the most common mistake that I see is when, Entrepreneurs put together a business model, but they still have these assumptions in the back of their head that are driving how they think about the business model, and they never get written down. Um, and what that means is that if you don't write them down, you're never going to test them. And that's an extremely dangerous place to be because you know, we all know as entrep- we know that from studying entrepreneurs that the assumptions that they have about how a business is going to work are often not reflected in the market reality. Because very often we're we are not our company's primary customers Uh, and so it's it's just really essential to get those assumptions written down second thing from my perspective is just failing to look beyond the surface so you know you look at a business model and all the pieces seem to link up um, and you just leave it there and the reality is that business model analysis is fundamentally more complicated than that we can look at the example of low-cost airline carriers like southwest and ryanair and sure, some things are obvious. They don't sh- they don't serve champagne on the flights, right? Well, that's an obvious element of the business model. But you can look at a company like Southwest Airlines in the United States, and they spend more on training than m- most other airlines do. Well, that doesn't seem to fit the low-cost business model concept. But you have to look deeper, right? Because mistakes in the airline industry are very costly. If you've got the bag on a wrong flight or a flight gets delayed, those the costs of those mistakes are extremely high. And so training ultimately is in fact a low cost activity, even when you spend more on it because it's generating returns in the long haul. And then the last thing I think is the other, the last obstacle is missing the value need relationship. Like where does does the need of your customer match up to the value you create in the organization, right? What is the value created in the business model? And again, this is where that customer journey map I think is absolutely critical because it ensures that you're making that connection very, very explicit. Um, And there's no shortage of other tools out there um, uh, that you can use uh, in terms of linking up customer needs with value creation. but making sure that you're doing that very explicitly from my perspective is, is, one of the, is, is a, a critical obstacle that a lot of entrepreneurs face in building an effective business model. Thank you,
0: Adam. I'd like to finish this up you know, by reminding that business models and business models analysis are actually tools for business experimentation. Thank you for uh, joining me for today's session. Thank you very much. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you.